Hey fam, welcome to the Free Trail Podcast. Of course, I am your host, Dylan Bowman, here today with Matt Walsh, the strength and movement guru from Portland, Oregon, who single-handedly saved my career back in 2019 after I broke my left ankle. Without exaggeration, Matt is one of the most brilliant minds that I've encountered in my time in the sport, and his guidance has been massively helpful for me in recent years, both in recovery from that injury, but also in generally improving my strength, movement, efficiency, and form as a trail runner. This is Matt's second appearance on the podcast. The last time was almost three years ago now. It's hard to believe. He was one of the first guests on the show way back in the day. So if you're newer to free trail, I'd encourage you to go back and listen to our first conversation when you have time. That was a very popular early episode and I'm glad Matt would return for another deep conversation on all things strength and movement. We are also very proud to have Matt on board for the Free Trail Experts crew. So if you're in the market for some help with your strength program or you're inspired by Matt's insights in today's conversation, you can connect with him and learn more about his services through Free Trail Experts. And I have a link to his page here in the show notes. Topics we discuss, what makes Matt's approach unique? Strength periodization throughout a trail running season, lifting heavy, flexibility, improving form and efficiency, the value of novelty and continually progressing a program, and a lot more. It's a great conversation and I hope you all really enjoy it. A quick reminder, this is now Gorge Waterfalls Race Week, the premier Pacific Northwest event that Free Trail owns in partnership with Daybreak Racing. It's happening over three days, Friday to Sunday, 30K, 100K, 50K in that order. We'll be providing live coverage of all three events on the Free Trail Instagram account, much like we did last year in lieu of a real race broadcast. We'll do a series of Instagram live sessions throughout the weekend. So Keep up to speed on the drama unfolding in the Columbia River Gorge. Go follow at Run Free Trail on Instagram if you don't already. Come hang out with us all weekend long there on that magical platform. Before we get to the episode, a massive thank you to Speedland, the presenting partner of the Free Trail podcast and the sponsor also of Gorge Waterfalls. Speedland has begun shipping the GS Tam. I have been seeing people unboxing their beautiful orange shoes on Instagram. Makes me so happy to see them out in the wild after a year of design and development for those who have received your shoes or who will soon. Make sure you post a pic and tag me on Instagram. If you do, I'll make sure to reshare. I hope you all really do enjoy the shoes. For those who haven't grabbed a pair yet, I forgive you, but please go grab a pair now. Visit runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off the best shoes ever made. Thanks so much, everyone, for being here. Hope you enjoy the episode. Matt Walsh. Hey, mate. Welcome back to the podcast. Thanks, mate. Good to see you again, as always. As always. The last time you were on the show was probably like two and a half years ago at this point, and it was an amazing conversation, one of our earliest super popular episodes. So I would encourage our newer listeners today to go back and check that one out. But I wanted to start with you, Coach, with a little prompt that you gave the Free Trail Expert community on a recent team call that we had. And 
what you sort of encouraged us all to think about was something to the effect of what makes you, you. And so I figured this would be a good on-ramp as a way mm-hmm. of introducing you to the audience again here on the Free Trail Podcast, uh, asking you to, to turn that question around on yourself. What makes you, you? What makes Matt Walsh the great <clears throat> strength and movement coach that he is? Uh, I, think that, I think the main thing that makes me me is, is I'm obsessed with movement. Um, I love it. Like I'm just in every way, shape or form, I'm obsessed with movement. So really good movement, you know, gets me up in all sorts of brilliant ways. Um, and I think that's a little bit of like when you're, when you're completely obsessed with something and you reflect on it all the time, hopefully eventually you get a little, get a little better at it. I, I think I'm decent at it and I feel like I can sort of see what matters the most. You know, I had this sort of mantra that movement matters. But really, it's what in that movement matters the most, and then maybe taking that one level further and saying, "I hope that I'm getting better as I get older at at seeing what matters most in people." You know, so getting to that place where I love that the guy next door has decided now he's going to have his his lawn blower. Out. <laughs> I don't know whether you can hear it, but no, it's like no. all good. Gotta love, you, gotta love your neighborhood. Um, yeah, being able to see people. In a way where you go, you know, I, I kind of get you. Like mm-hmm. it might take me a while, but I, I, I want to get you. I want to find out who you are and what makes you tick. So being obsessed with movement has sort of morphed into also being obsessed with, with what makes people tick, you know. Oh, this is so good. Because one of the things that I think makes you, you is your ability to straddle the physical, practical side of things with sort of like the spiritual, philosophical side of things. So Mm -hmm. I was already Mm -hmm. planning to go into that later on in our conversation. (laughs) But on the subject of movement, I think this would be instructive for the audience and another good place to kind of start the conversation. You often describe what you do as strength and movement. And we'll probably spend a lot of our conversation today talking about strength. But mm. what's the significance on movement? Go a little deeper on the second word there. What do you yeah. mean by movement? Yeah, I, that's interesting because I, I sometimes reel a little bit about being the strength person, even though I know it's, you know, it's sort of it's a central mantra to a lot of what the conversation's about. But mm. I want to always remember that it's about making better movement, right? And making better movement. In my mind, like the word that comes to mind, and maybe it's a little lame, is is flow. Like I want to see flow happen in all sorts of ways, and that's that feels like quality movement, efficient movement, economical movement under any type of load that you can think of, whether it's zero load or massive load, whether it's physiological stress that's low or high. Like you can keep finding that place where it's like. I got this, you know, like I'm, I'm still in control. Control is a bad word. I'm still basically flowing well. Mm. Control makes people think of like, hunker down, lock it in, stability, you know, all that sort of BS. Yeah. And instead of kind of going, like I can give you a stupid example just off the top of my head of somebody does a squat or somebody does a plank and, and they get told to do it a certain way. Right. This is the right way to do a squat. This is the this is what you're meant to do when you do a plank. And then the progression of that is always to say, now do exactly the same thing, but do it with less effort. Mm-hmm. All right. So let's put that hundred pounds that you just lifted 
and now let's do it like it's a feather. And now let's do it when you're under physiological distress. And now let's do it when you're under a little mental distress. And now let's do it when whatever, you know, the shit's yeah. in the fan. So being able to find flow feels like that's the movement part of it. Yeah. So it's almost it's like you're, a, you're like a, a flow and movement coach and strength is just one ingredient in that recipe. If you can improve the capacity of somebody, you can often have a safer place to work on flow because they're not in, they're not required at the boundary all the time. Yeah. You know, so whether that changing capacity is you're too stiff, you know, you've got high tone, uh, meaning the tissues are just tight all the time. Or you, um, or you, you know, you're too weak to do this particular thing, mm-hmm. or you've been substituting with something else for a long period of time. Yeah, those things allow you to get to a place to build better capacity, and then when you've got better capacity, you can focus better on movement quality. Love it. Going back to this prompt that you gave the free trail expert community, it felt mm-hmm. like there was some intention behind it. So I'd love to just ask you to go a little bit deeper, and maybe this is a good opportunity for you to traverse the philosophical arena a little bit. I'd love to just hear why you gave that prompt to us because it felt like it had weight behind it when you did. Hmm. You're a sneaky bugger, aren't you? So, um, sign <laughs> <laughs> of, of a good interviewer. Yeah. Um, I think that, uh, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll go sideways and then I'll come back. Okay. I just came from giving a talk at a high school. And I gave a talk to the local high school that my son went to as a kid. And it was to a group that had been formed by the social worker at the school and in the district called the uh, Athlete Wellness Group. And it's about basically mental health wellness in an athletic population. And it's just peer-led, seniors, juniors, whatever, different sports. And this kid, this just handsome kid just nails me with this question about about metrics you know like well we we're judged on our performance based on times based on results based on this like but how do we how do we deal with the other side of who we are how do we kind of get to that right and and i said to her i said you know the essence of what you're asking me is what matters is what matters the most here you know like what what do you wish the world would see you as? Mm. You know, maybe just like in all the in all the non-appropriate ways, you want to hug this kid. Yeah. Like you want to just want to go, God love you. You know, yeah. like this is a great question. And I kept saying, this is the greatest question. Like you go home and you write, I, I just wrote the greatest question. Right. <laughs> and that greatest question is going to be your life bloody question. Yeah. Should have said, hey kids, start a podcast. Probably will, bright kid. So I think it's that sense of like, let's not lose sight of of why we're doing what we're doing. Right. Um, One of the things that really attracts me to working with the trail community is that even though there's racing, even though there's performance, even though there's numbers, even though there's all those things, that's not it. (laughs) <laughs> that's not it. And I think that sometimes when when things take off, they get popular, there's branding, there's sports, there's money, there's profile, there's you know, superstars and all these sorts of things. It's easy to then plug back in the whole 
BS of it's about the number. Mm. And the more that I see people who are injured, I realize the medical system keeps telling them that too. You're a number, you're a metric, you're a knee, you're an ankle, you're a undiagnosed MRI, you're a this, right? And it's like, whoa, 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 you're not that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you're all these other things and all these other things that are super important to who you are that manifest themselves in this lovely thing that you do called running, um, they're still there. It's just being overshadowed by this thing called pain or this thing called, you know, loss of movement or whatever it might be, right? Yeah. So, yeah, pushing on that with people who are really freaking clever, like your, you know, your free trail experts, to be able to say, look, if you guys are going to be ambassadors, you know, let's let's not lose the plot here. Well, I think it's a very worthwhile exercise for anybody in any discipline to just yeah. think about that a little bit. And that's why it felt to me that there was real intention behind it. And I've been considering it ever since, even though you and I oh, haven't spoken since then. And yeah, anyway, yeah. I think it's just a good way to kind of align what you do with what you're good at and what you care about. And I think at the end of the day, that's what we all want to do. So anyway, yeah. Matt, let's um start going into some of the meat of our conversation here. And I think it's important to just kind of retell the story of our connecting. Again, I would encourage people to go back for the longer form story of this in our first conversation in the podcast, and I'll make sure to link to it in the show notes of this episode. But effectively, I had broken my ankle and I had been not successfully rehabbing for five or six months before you and I finally became connected. And immediately upon beginning to work with you, I started to make progress again, eventually fully healed and returned to the top of my game. And our relationship has remained strong ever since that moment. And I want to think that I am in some ways responsible for indoctrinating you into trail running culture. You're it. You're it, you bastard. You've changed my life. (laughs) So (laughs) with that being said, how has working with trail runners breathed new life into your practice as a coach? And maybe you could tie in both the practical and the philosophical here. Like in what ways is it? actually stimulating like the the movement and activity of the sport and in what ways is it fulfilling on an emotional level Ooh, so many so many layers i want to go back one step and say one of the things that attracted me to you as as an athlete was your ability to be fascinated by the things that you couldn't do perfectly like that curiosity is so attractive to me, mm-hmm. like curiosity, because what you've got is you've got a curiosity about movement. And I'm like, guess what? I'm curious about movement too. Let's do this together. And and finding those things that it's like, okay, you're a you're a go, you're a gold medalist in these departments, but you're not you're not getting a gold medal over here. So are you interested? Yeah, God, you, I'm interested. And you would put that little that little grin you've got. You'd put that little grin on, and you'd be like competitive with yourself but playful with it you would generally fail the first couple of times you do it but instantly you'd start learning and and if you didn't you'd kind of give me that look of like i'm gonna give this a go and i i think i can get this i think i can get this and that's that's carried through with the trail community like that's a thing that there's no crybabies like people are tough in all sorts of different ways of being tough um and they come from every way shape or form it's not like i'm 
I'm working with, um, you know, kind of ponytail soccer, like where everybody comes from the same, you know, pay-to-play kind of mentality. They've all gone through their sort of progressions of elite performance or downhill skiing kids. Um, you know, you know where they come from. You generally know the way they're going to think. Trail runners are all over the map. You know? But the thing they share is this fascinating curiosity. So I find I find you guys easy to work with because we're curious about movement. That's that's one. The other thing is is just this realization that being being overseas, being away from family. Um, you know, I've got four brothers in Australia. Um, my dad's still there. My mum passed away a few years back, um, and uh, I miss community. And I had this touch rugby community that I helped uh, kind of form in the early days and they sort of took off a life on their own and I just became attached to it, um, you know, maybe as a sort of a, a connector. Um, and I realised, oh, that's what I'm looking for. I'm looking for community. Mm. And you guys are a community. Um, and so that side of it's really lovely to me. Um, it's very inclusive. Um, you know, it doesn't matter rich or poor, colour or, you know, whatever it might be, it's any direction you want to go, people don't care. Yeah. You want to go run? Yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And there's no judgment on it as well, which is, which is the other thing, whereas track and field is very judgmental. Yeah. And it's very much you're in, you're out. Um, and it's and so, so, it's so pace-based and it's so measurable in so many different ways that so many different ways. there's a yeah, certain in, intangible thing. quality in trail running that I feel like spoke to you at the right moment yeah and then maybe the other thing is is that um you know i, I come from a land down under boom, boom, um where things are big and nature is in your face all day and you live it and you love it right and there's a lifestyle there and i think in many regards i i got on the career bus and i gave up a little bit of that um i gave up that like Oh, hang on a second. I really love nature. Mm. And and so I'd sort of forgotten about it to a certain extent. Maybe I'd, I'd given it up because I started working with more sort of elite track and field folks. And um, and just getting back to people who go, yeah, I'm gone. Like I'm gone to the mountains. I'm gone for the weekend. I'm gone for my run. I'm, you know, they're good at being able to get up in the dark of the night and and suffer and go and find a beautiful trail and have an amazing experience. And that's like, I just want to be a part of that, you know. So it's brought me along in a in a in a comically slow way from my own running side of it. Like I'm just just shitload slow, just so bad. (laughs) (laughs) It's just embarrassing. But but I'm loving every step of it. Yeah. Good. Yeah. So obviously there's going to be a lot of listeners who will be hungry for practical takeaways. And so I just kind of want to blast through a bunch of great questions that will give people tools to be better trail runners. And I think the best place to start with this is, is sort of a macro view. And that is with Mm -hmm. with this question of periodization of strength Mm -hmm. training and movement training throughout a season. And if you think about kind of a traditional trail calendar, the winter months are sort of lighter on the training and racing volume, building into 
the spring and then eventually usually having the peak of the racing season in the summer. How should trail runners generally think about the periodization of their strength and movement training throughout that kind of traditional calendar architecture? Yeah. So if I keep it keep it simple to start with and say that first of all you've got to get you've got to get comfortable with picking up heavy things. You know, and that's not not just picking them up, it's picking them up, pushing them, pulling them, twisting them, carrying them, reacting to them. And um, and so that should be the winter project. It should be, I'm going to learn how to throw, pull, push, carry heavy shit around. Um, so you're just improving your general capacity in every department and um, get away from the concept that because I run, I've got strong legs. Um, they can always be stronger. And that because you're still continuing to run, you're not going to bulk up. So it's unlikely you're going to put on big whopping muscles and suddenly be dragging that around. There's an interference effect that happens because of the physiology of the long stuff. Then if you simply take that heavy stuff and know that eventually you're going to start reaching a place where the running's coming up, season's starting to appear, do you stop that? No. What you do is you just cut the volume of it. That's the biggest thing that I think people do wrong is they keep thinking that they've got to back off from their lifting or they've got to taper. When they taper, they put the weights down and don't do any of that because that's bad for you. You're missing the point of the lifting at that point. Lifting has two things that it's really good for, right? One is building physiological capacity in the tissue and the tendons. And two is it's basically taking your nervous system to Mount Everest and saying, well, look what you can do when you're up here. Like, ah, everything can turn on, right? All these motor units can turn on. All the nervous system can wake up to this extent. And so it's kind of like flushing out every part of the system and saying, you're all invited, right? It's a little bit kind of wimp offish. Like we're putting, we're putting little bits of oxygen in every single tissue that doesn't normally get a lot, right? We're doing the same thing with the nervous system when we lift heavy. So when it comes into preparation for a race, all you've got to do is still lift the same heavy stuff, but now that you've adapted to it, you've trained to, to tolerate sets and reps of that. So, for example, you've gone from I introduced myself to the exercise. Introductions are generally 15 to 20 reps. I call that movement conditioning. So you're basically just learning how to load and control that movement and have good flow to it, okay? Then you start to increase the intensity of it, so you drop it down until you get into the true lifting zone, which is strength is going to happen at anything above 75, 85% of your maximum. So you've got to be down in that like three to five, five to eight repetition max, uh, re repetition. And then you've got to basically be operating on like an eight to 10 repetition maximum. Right? So you're just a little bit under the radar, but you're pretty close to being fully fatigued in these sets. Now, when you come down to springtime, what you got to do is take that same weight. You know, I could pick up 200 pounds and I could lift it five times. All right, now just pick it up twice. That's it. So you can have a race race routine coming in three days' time. It's going to pick up 200 pounds twice. But you've been doing it so often that your body is not distressed at all by picking up that 200 pounds. There's no kickback. There's no soreness the next day. There's none of that because you didn't go into the volume where you're going to beat yourself up. Yeah. So that's, that's the simplest way to think of periodization. Start with big volume, learn the movement, bring it down to true strengthening kind of parameters which is getting close to that 10 rep or eight rep maximum. You could say five, but it's really 
safety issues when you kind of get around that if you haven't been a, had a long lifting history. Okay. And then just operate at 80% of that for a period of time. Okay. Vary the volume of the sets. The okay. numbers of sets and the volume in each one. I want to come back to the heavy lifting stuff in a second, yeah. but it makes me want to go deeper on the nervous system thing. And one okay. of the things that I immediately noticed when I started working with you is that there's always an added mental complication to yeah. the exercises that we're doing, which mm -hmm. to me felt really novel. You know, when you think about people in a gym, they're doing like a simple back squat that requires a lot of physical strength, but not a ton of mental energy. And of course there's a time and a place to do a simple back squat, at least it seems like, but also we do a lot of stuff where, for example, we'd be doing squats, but we'd be throwing a rugby ball to each other mm -hmm. sort of thing mm -hmm. to where you actually have the mental thing engaged. I don't know if that's what you mean by nervous system in some ways, yeah, but yeah, talk two, two sides to it. Yeah. Two yeah. sides to it that, that come to mind. One is that novelty is, is huge in my books. I want to see and I want to create people who can who can adapt quickly to novel situations because it strikes me that that's, that's one of the gifts that you guys have as really good trail runners is that you're able to take something. You've never seen this. You never, I mean, yeah, you've prepped for the trail. You know what's happening. You know things are coming, but you've never seen that rock before. You've never seen that route before. You've never felt it under this situation. You've never done it while you're chasing You've never done it when the sunlight's hitting you on the right side of your head through the trees, you know, whatever it might be. So you need to be, you need to be reactive and responsive in really healthy ways. So, you know, Ido Portal is this kind of very cool martial arts mover. Um, I'm sort of pulling a phrase from him where he basically says, as soon as you're good at something, move on. You know, so it's, and I take that as as soon as you're an A student, I'm not interested. I want you to be a B student. I want you to be mostly successful but kind of fail a little bit all the time because that's where the learning happens. So we take something simple like a walking lunge and we say, okay, let's hold a single weight above your head. Which hand? Doesn't matter, right, because we're going to do the other one anyway. Yeah. Then when we're doing the lunge and we put your hand above your head, we're going to say, okay, you all look pretty much under control right now. So why don't we all do it and look to the left and then look to the right and look to the left and look to the right. Because you're going to catch something in your peripheral vision that's going to distract you. So now can you cope with that? And the first few reps, everybody's like, whoa, what the hell was that? We added rotation. And they adapt, right? And as soon as they get good at it again, you're like, all right, let's change that. Let's turn it into a ball over your head and or whatever. Yeah. yeah. I love one of the fun things – sorry, I'm cutting you off, but I'll, I'll finish this thought. One of the Go fun ahead. things I remember throwing into the group one day was we do this funny little warm-up where we just call it the snake which is somebody just takes off around the gym and everybody just has to follow what they do, right? And it's just movement, movement, shake out. And it's playful and everybody's chatting and yakking. And I kind of realized we were starting to get into the groove again. People were like, yeah, I get this. You know, I step over some boxes, I jump a little bit, I squat a little bit, I turn around. So I started throwing things at people. You know, hey, catch this. And you see the newcomers and they'd be like, you know, what happened? You just threw a ball at me well, get ready, you know, like it, shit's going to happen. So, <laughs> so I think that that's, it's a good way to think of like, yeah. don't get caught. I mean, yeah. I, I love just the philosophy of don't be an A student. You know, when you, when you get to a place, I think it's 
not necessarily in human nature too. Like when you get good at something, you just want to do more and more of it mm-hmm. when really you should be pushing yourself to continue to evolve. It may, it reminds me, and I've talked about this a lot on the podcast recently. I just read Rick Rubin's book called The Creative mm-hmm. Act. And of course he is a world famous music producer who's worked with artists from all different genres and backgrounds And I think that's what makes him really unique and interesting is he's been able to create this beautiful art in so many different creative genres, right? You know, from like punk rock to hip hop to rock and roll, et cetera. And that's one of the things that he preaches in the book, more or less, is that once they complete a project, it's out in the world, it exists we don't think about it anymore. You keep moving mm-hmm. forward. And I think that's a great way to sort of frame your, your life is, you know, always be moving forward, always be, you know, being a B student, so to speak. The Fruit Row Podcast is brought to you by the Gnarly Nutrition Baseline Series. You may be wondering, is iron supplementation for you? Iron is essential for oxygen transportation in your body. Endurance athletes, women, and plant-based athletes are particularly vulnerable to iron deficiencies. And Gnarly Nutrition makes hitting your baseline iron needs easy with the Gnarly Baseline Iron Plus. More than your typical iron supplement, Gnarly's Iron Plus has blood-boosting nutrients like vitamin B12, folate, and vitamin C for improved iron absorption. Similarly, vitamin D is known for its role in bone health, immune and muscle function, and inflammatory response. But lifestyle factors like decreased sunlight in winter months make vitamin D deficiency a worldwide issue, something I recently learned. Gnarly Baseline D3 is a natural plant-based vitamin, a simple vegan-friendly product that will ensure you're training on a solid foundation. To check out the Iron Plus and the Gnarly Vitamin D3, visit gonarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off your order. So back to the the heavy lifting, Matt, I'm wondering because, you know, obviously this has been something that is relatively new, I feel like, at least in the running community. So maybe if you could just talk about like, how much heavy load training is sufficient and and can you have too much strength? I mean, you were just talking about not being able to to bulk up, but can you go overboard on that stuff? I don't know whether you can go overboard and really have <clears throat> destructive sides to it. Um, I, I do know that a lot of people end up mismanaging their prioritizations. <laughs> so it's not that the strength was the thing that, created shitty running form that came out of it but that you stopped running enough you stopped remembering that the the number one thing that's going to make you a better runner is running so i think if you keep it in perspective you can you can lift hard and you can keep pushing the strength of it um is is there ever a point where it's enough strength i don't know i don't know that that's an answer that we can give categorically um, I can talk about it in injury terms in a moment, um, but I think twice a week is plenty for the majority of the universe. If you if you lift well and you lift twice a week um, in the endurance realm that we're talking about, that's good. Mm. That's enough. I think that as we as we demand more of our bodies in the training intensity side of things, it's a simple 
tried and, tried and tested way of improving your capacity to cope with training. So it's not that it's just about making you faster. It's that you can train at a higher level. You can run at a higher level. You can do harder workouts with more volume to them because your system can tolerate it. And that's the advantage. So rather than I need to be strong because without a strong hip, I won't be able to run up this hill. It's like, no, 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 no. You won't fail as quickly at the end of your training. So you won't have shitty training. You'll have longer periods of high quality training. Mm. You know, you can hold the block longer. You can have longer peaks, for example, you know, when you've got high capacity in that regard. So you can peak for more races um, rather than, you know, I kind of just had one and blew it out on that one. Yeah. Um, when it comes to injury, there's a, there's a really good argument going on at the moment about like, you know, how much does it matter how strong you are as to whether you're going to get rid of this pain? Mm. Pain isn't just a matter of strength. And, uh, you know, it's a, it's a large component to it. But if I, was, if I was this strong and I got injured and I was only injured for three to four weeks, how much, how much strength have I lost? you know, a mild to moderate amount, but really I should be able to get it back if I'm sensible in almost the same time period as I had off, maybe slightly longer. But um, but then do I need to go above that to be out of pain? Shouldn't happen that way. Um, sometimes you've got to do it. When the injury's been around for a long period of time, you've got to get, you've got to get more strength than you had before. But what we're recognising is, is that you know, pain's way more complex than that. It's not just about capacity. You know, it's so much about the psychosocial side of this, so the neuroplastic side of your brain teaching the tissue whether it's actually confident. And confidence comes from so many other things, not just are you strong enough. Yeah. Um, which kind of bring, brings us to, you know, what creates movement confidence? That's a really fun question to kind of dig into. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, having known that I've done these workouts having known that I put in extra time doing my strengthening, um, having a long period of no injury, um, trusting my coach, trusting my ability to you know, be tough enough to do these things, all of those things allow me to be confident. Right? And movement confidence generally means painlessness. Mm -hmm. Or at least if there is pain, it's like recognisable and manageable. Definitely, you know? yeah. Yeah, discomfort or whatever. Um, so yeah. thank you for that. So, you know, I think some of this stuff is not necessarily easy to describe in podcast form and that sometimes it's easier to convey wisdom through case studies and examples. Mm -hmm. And as part of our Walsh Wallabies contingent that I was a proud member of for a while there in Portland, Oregon, there's two fantastic athletes who are mutual friends of ours. Tyler Green and Keely Henninger, who you work closely with, both of these athletes are coming off impressive performances. And I'd love mm. to maybe use these case studies as examples of how you work with athletes and what other trail runners can consider <laughs> with their own strength and movement program. So maybe yeah. we could start with Tyler and his build up to Trans Grand Canaria. What were you guys working on for that tough 120 kilometer mountain race? He was. He was more in charge of it than I was directing it. Um, mostly it was me just kind of backing him up as he went along, him knowing that obviously in his, with his coach, you know, they knew there was this crazy hill scenario that they were going to have to be super robust in. And that was the, that was the only thing that he lent back to me about was to say, 
you know, Grand Canaria has has this much vertical to it, and I've got this much time to go. Can we make sure that in our workouts we're really uh, we're really tackling that? So we would do it with a variety of things. You know, one of the one of my sort of go tos on people who know how to lift, and Tyler's a good lifter, um, is uh, is loading up split lunges. Um, and getting to those places where we're still trying to get somebody to be able to improve their capacity in a split lunge. So that's, you know, in a stride type position with something elevated behind you, foot on a bench, and varying where that load was, whether it was two bells down, whether it was a bar behind the back, whether it was a goblet up in front. So we mix that up a little bit so the trunk has to cope with it differently. Mm. Getting people to get into a fatigue state. And then the way that I would with some of the workouts was to to get them pre-fatigued in the circuit that we would do around it so they pre-fatigued their glutes beforehand they thought it was part of something else but then it was like okay the key for today is this bulgarian split and i know that tyler is a, is a competitive you know superstar like he loves to go after it so when we then give him the option of saying okay we're just gonna, you're gonna load up in these split squats i only want you to be able to do eight reps and do two sets of that he would look but straight back at me and say like out of what rep max, I'd be like 12 rep max, right? So he'd, he'd dial in a weight. He'd say, this is going to be me at 12. Often he'd get to that first one and he'd be like, oh, shit, that was me at 12 before my glute was fatigued. <laughs> right? So he might take it a bit to the max. Um, he'd do some split lunges. And then straight after you do split lunges, I generally put some sort of stability exercise in there, whether it's a, a small hop uh, with a band that's pulling you sideways. So I'm now saying, okay, isolated glute strengthening, integrated glute and quad strengthening in the split lunge, and then proprioceptive, energy return, bouncy challenge. It's like, because I don't want you to sprain your ankle. I don't want you to lose control going up and down. The, I don't want you to get all excited about the next downhill and, and go for bombing, and yet your loss of glute strength has also meant that you're not connecting well between your foot and your glute. Yeah. So put some balance in there and, and say, keep the rhythm up, keep the rhythm up. So we've got music going and we're shouting at each other and and maybe we're saying, like, get the rhythm going. Like, you've got to kind of pop, 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 pop and bounce on that. And uh, so he was an easy he was an easy target to kind of motivate in the workouts. But mostly he was doing the hard work himself um, one to two other times a week. So yeah. he was often doing three workouts, three lifting workouts in a week. Uh, and he would just kind of check in with me occasionally and say, you know, my my deadlifts are back up to what they were this time last year or whatever it might be. Yeah. Tyler's a beast in the weight room. That dude can clang and bang, as they say. And yeah. it resulted in the best European performance of his career. He had yet to really race to his potential on a big European stage and finally landed on the podium at Trans Grand Canaria, which we were all happy to see. And I love that description yeah. of that workout because I think it's a great visual into piecing various exercises together that all have a very specific application to trail yeah. performance. So let's talk about Keeley because, and maybe this is a good opportunity to integrate some of the injury rehab stuff too, because Keeley of course was coming off a ankle injury late last year after Western States and has been building back ever since. And now has just put up what I think is the performance of her life at Black Canyon 100K earning her ticket back to Western States where I'm sure she's going to be hungry for redemption after last year. So talk about yeah. just like you did with Tyler, how you've been working with Keely. If you want to integrate the injury rehab process in that too, I think the audience would love it. So 
Keely's um, you know, recurrent ankle sprain was a um, was a combination in my mind of of capacity and confidence. It was she got it into her head that she was always imminent, that something was there, that she might go, and if she was going to go, it was going to be bad um, because she'd had some bad experiences with the falls and it really crushed her when she had this big one uh, that, you know, destroyed a race. Um, so back into that sort of simple pattern of isolation integration where you go, you know, what locally has to be done? Well, the, the biggest, most powerful muscle that's got to get right on board, and I know you're an advocate, is, is the soleus, right? So you've got to, you've got to build the soleus, and, uh, and is there ever a point where you can have it too strong? Uh, I'm not sure. I think that, you know, there are some, there's some pretty good cases for just always improving the capacity of that muscle, and if there's, a, if there's a muscle that we've got to go after pretty consistently and just keep it in the repertoire until you're in your 90s, is, um, is just bent knee calf raises in some form or another. Um, so that's been that's been a cup, you know, sort of a staple for her. And she would say to me, you know, oh, I haven't been here because we had to cancel a class, but I'm all, but I'm doing my salia stuff, and I've, I've got my weights going out in the shed, and I'm working on those. And even if I haven't got a weight, I'm working on higher speed movements that load it. So we work on the rate of force development if we haven't got load. So that's number one. Number two was that it was all about loading with rotation. So when you're coming down a hill in particular, typically sprain your ankle going up a hill, coming down a hill, your stride's out in front of you a little bit, the brakes are sort of partly on, but you're trying to keep speed and you're turning or the trail is forcing you to turn uh, and there's that inward motion that you're trying trying to prevent. You've got to have great control of rotation. Now, she's a long drink of water. So when her cadence gets low and she gets lopy, then she's more in, what's the word? She's just more challenged at that point, right? She's, she gets the advantage of the long stride. She gets the advantage of kind of using that limb length, but it comes at the price of a real riskiness on her compromised tissue. Yeah. So changing her ability to, to go from her, her go-to stride to a more short, quick stride. Um, Tyler posted something last week and I was just right on board with it about like changing my mindset and I'm not going out for a 14-mile grind, I'm going out for a dance. You know, it was one of those moments of like, yeah, like that's it, right? That's that's the joy of trail running is that it's a dance. And so when you dance, you don't do the square dance, right? You don't go whop, up, whop, 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 whop. You do whatever, right? You do some sort of crazy funk. And so you've got to be able to change your stride length really rapidly between long and low B and quick and short and change, quick and short and change, right, and be able to adapt to those. So getting her to feel what it was like to change her cadence, change her stride length, a little bit of that smirky thing that you get. She was on a treadmill and we were talking about it and she just kind of looked at me and went, oh, this is cool. Like this feels completely different and really efficient in a completely different way. Mm-hmm. Bingo. Now, if you can find something that makes somebody feel more efficient when they're under duress, then that becomes like a little secret weapon in your back pocket where you can say, I'm safer and I'm more efficient and I still keep my speed up because I've trained at this, then everybody's happy, right? Mm-hmm. So it's like a whole other new, new movement strategy. So changing movement pattern was one. 
changing strength in the soleus was two, not in order. And then three was that which doesn't outright kill you, makes you stronger. Go to the place where you are most fearful and practice it. So she would be in the class, I'd bump her. I'd just bump her elbow, you know, like knock her over, and then she'd go, I know what you're doing, All right? And I'm like, yeah, I know what you're doing, but I'm going to keep doing it, right? So, so we would get into these situations where she was a little fearful. Maybe it was stepping on something unstable and having to move through it, like you're stepping across a rock and you're not sure if it's if it's mossy or not. Um, we'd make a catch something or we'd make a look to the side or we'd make a look up or whatever it might be, like distress the vestibular system to make the body learn, got this, I've got this, yeah. I've got it in so many variations, right? Brilliant. So yeah. great. Thank you for that. Yeah, so nice. one of the things that I really wanted to ask you about too is, the sport is sort of bifurcating right now between ultra distance races and sub ultra distance races. And I thought this would be a great place for you to provide some perspective as to how you would advise adjusting a strength and movement program based on the length of a race that athletes are training for, or, you know, if it's more applicable and more relevant, if it's, if you're thinking more about, the topography, the vertical gain and loss, the technicality of the trail, things like that. But I'd love to hear you talk about the the distance of the races too, because obviously mm. Tyler and Keeley both mostly specialize in the long course ultra races, but there's a yeah. now thriving circuit of these shorter distance races too. And so I'd love to hear you talk about how the strength and movement work might vary between the two. Yeah. So the this, this simple answer from my end, like if I just think in biomechanical terms, it's just going to be range. That's that's number one, is that shorter, quicker, bigger range um, is, is the sort of the first change. So the strengthening has to match that. So you can get away with having, having subtle deficits in flexibility, for example, if you never have to go to that range. So if you're you know, you're a captain or queen of economy and, and you're close here and your range is there, you never have to worry about that in-range movement, then you don't need to, you don't need to be fussing about, you know, I've got five degrees difference in, in my pelvic rotation from the left to the right. You can run in a corkscrew all day and it's not going to bother you. Um, so that's the first thing is that as you go to shorter, quicker, you you've got to kind of treat it a little bit more like you you know you you're fine tuning a Maserati versus you're you're playing with a Ford truck, mm-hmm. um, and so I think that the the economy of movement for the longer stuff becomes so important. You know, efficiency and economy, efficiency and economy, and everything it brings me back to flow again. Um, you know that if you can get people to to flow in their load programs and and maybe spend a little bit more time where they do uh, almost like sort of a cluster of endurance-based loads where this one's going to fatigue you, this one's going to fatigue you, this one's going to fatigue you. None of them are super heavy load, but you cluster those together so you create this big, massive pool of strength endurance for the longer stuff. That seems really helpful versus shorter, quicker. I think it does become more relevant to have more power more explosiveness, a little bit more of the sort of the plyo side of things because you won't be using the tissue through the same range that you're asking it to do with the shorter stuff. And 
Therefore, you won't need as much in the power and plyometric department as well. Mm. So you can kind of change the program a little bit that way. Great. Thank you for that. So yeah. talking more about efficiency, in my time working with you, I think one of the things that I noticed immediately was an increase in efficiency, or at least a perceived increase in efficiency. So what are the critical components to improving our running efficiency? I'm going to um, take, a, take a step back and say that if, like running form is one of these questions, right? It's sort of about has, has form, why does form matter? Form matters mm -hmm. because form is dynamic posture. Form is the shape that you take throughout the various components of the gait cycle, right? So there's a, there's a loading shape. There's a preparation for loading shape. There's a loading shape and there's a propulsive shape. And all of those are just subtle variations of each other, but it's this, you know, you see my hands do this because it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a sort of a plastic little change in the body, right? Your body's kind of going through these little waves. Like your pelvis is literally doing this side to side, forward and back, and rotation. It's doing all 3D, yeah. right? Doing this little cyclical motion. And when that cyclical motion happens really well and in small ranges, like a little tiny perturbation, right? then that's called core stability, which I would love to dump the word core and maybe call it central stability rather than you thinking it's like some little, you know, donut sort of moment there, but that sort of fluid, smooth, efficient motion. But that's only going to work if the shape from the top down and the shape from the bottom up arrive at that place with the possibility of symmetry, right? If, if I'm running with... My chin forward and my shoulders dumped and my and my scapula's rounded. There's a thousand reasons why my glutes are not going to work. Right. So just you should try this sometime. Right. Just even even if you're sitting in your chair right now, slump, and now try and do a glute contraction, and then sit up and try and do a glute contraction, and recognize that they're just completely different animals. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, bring your lats into it and do a glute contraction or bring your lats into it and do a squat, and you instantly know that, of course, the shape of my upper body changes what I'm doing down below. Mm -hmm. This idea that we don't need to have, it doesn't matter what the top of the body is doing, you know, it's just being carried by the legs, is, is silliness, right? The, the twist that the upper body does, a little counter-rotation like this back and forth that your shoulders are doing, is, is an effect of the limbs moving back and forth. Mm -hmm. It's not conscious effort. You don't say, I need to rotate to the right. I need to rotate to the left. It doesn't happen that way, right? It's basically the body is doing this little wet noodle thing where it creates elastic energy and then it releases it. It creates elastic energy and it releases it. And when you're really good at it, it's just a bunch of springs, mm. right? Just this sort of efficient set of springs. So I think that there's a school of thought that says, for example, when you're lifting, uh, there's no such thing as, as perfect technique. You know, that's that's not important, and I get that. There's a couple of basics when you lift that have to happen to get results. But when it comes to translating that into recovering from an injury or translating that into economy when you're running, form really matters. So, you know, not running with a, with a knuckled fist because all you're going to do is create change in your traps. When you cha change crazy, when you create changing your traps, you create change in your breathing strategy. And if you start fucking with your breathing strategy, 
the rest is history. So that makes a huge effect on the shape. Shape makes an effect on your breathing. Breathing makes an effect on your glutes. Glutes make an effect on your hip, et cetera, et cetera. Mm -hmm. right? so, so learning how to get the most efficient movement out of your body that's what good posture is. That's what good shape is. That's what good running form is, right? Not everybody runs the same way. We can't put you in the same box. But there are some pretty simple rules about it. Mm. You want to put the foot down underneath your body. It's not rocket science. You don't want to, you don't want to put it out in front of your body because that's a break. Right. You can reach out in front of your body while you're swinging, but the goal is crush the can. The can's right underneath you. You've got to jump on that can. It's under you. If it's out in front of you, you're kicking the can, right? So crush the can, get right on top of it. Body is designed that if you do vertical loading, right, with the right shape, all you got to do is shift your center of mass forward a little bit. Vertical loading creates forward spring. You don't need to push. Mm -hmm. All you need to do is compress the spring, release it, and you will you will go forward. Like the, the stuff that we know about tendon energy now is just mind boggling. Really? Yeah. Tendons, the tendons are everything. Tendons rule the world. Tendons and gut health. <laughs> well, I would encourage our listeners to at least watch that part of our conversation on YouTube because the way you use your hands and sort of oh, okay. provide a little bit of a visual about these movements and the pelvis and things like that, I think it helps me at least to understand a little bit better what you mean by form and efficiency, but that was another beautiful answer. The Free Trail Podcast is brought to you by Best Day Brewing. Dry January is over, but your boy is staying disciplined with his alcohol consumption or lack thereof. Not exaggerating, this is one of the biggest focuses of my life right now to reduce my overall alcohol intake as a dad, as an athlete, as a small business owner. Every day is just filled to the brim with important responsibilities that deserve and require my full attention. And I have noticed that I just do not operate with the same focus or with the same energy when I'm drinking, even just one or two nights a week. I have to say also my mood and attitude are so much worse when I'm on the booze also. As such, I've been making a huge effort to reduce my consumption and my goodness, do I feel so much better. And that's where Best Day Brewing comes in. I can still enjoy the ritual of a cold beer without the alcohol that so compromises my performance both on and off the trails. Best Day is brewed for doers like you and me. I'm sure there are many listeners who find themselves in the same position as me. You don't have to fully abstain, but let's hold each other accountable to reduce our alcohol intake in 2023. Visit bestdaybrewing.com and enjoy their selection of delicious craft brews and have your best day yet. Bestdaybrewing.com. Tell them Free Trail sent you. One of the things you said you wanted to talk about today, Matt, was flexibility. So, what would mm. you like the world to know about flexibility? <laughs> well, I feel like this is, I can, you know, I've got Catholic roots, so I feel like I can go back to the confessional first. The confessional is that I've been a, I've been a naysayer about flexibility in the general sense of it for a while. I've been a little bit less of, you know, thou shalt stretch and a lot more of like, no, you should move under moderate loads and your flexibility will come. Mm -hmm. But I've had a couple of really sort of like, pardon the pun, come to Jesus moments um, where 
where it really has been obvious to me that we just need to improve the flexibility of this tissue to give it the chance to then be strong. Mm. Um, and Keely's a great example at the moment, right? So she takes a tumble during the race, which is just this, you know, beautifully manicured race. Like she just, just, I don't know, just just dialed that in so beautifully. Like just brilliant to watch how she how she worked her way through the world on that one. Yeah. Um, and I didn't see it, but you know, she then said to me afterwards, like, well, I'll show you a picture of my legs. You know, she's just bloodied and scabbed and all sorts of stuff. And she's taken some pretty, you know, serious tumbles. And she's got a big old hematoma, big blood bruise under the lateral quad. Now, if we just let that go and we didn't address something as obvious as that, improving the flexibility of that tissue, recovering the full mobility of that, then she's going to carry that scar tissue for an extraordinarily long period of time and maybe forever. Mm-hmm. Okay? So, and we see in the short term that when you train with something that has that obvious restriction, right, that tissue just doesn't move in the same way because it can't yet, uh-huh. um, then you adapt. And where do you adapt? You cheat in another part of your body to try and sustain the same load capacity that that tissue used to give you. So the quad, you'll dip your spine to the side or you'll drop your hip. And it's a great way. You know, it ain't happening for this girl, and it's, and it's definitely happened for a lot of athletes in the past, that you can get yourself a stress fracture mm-hmm. just because you had a bruised quad. Right? But so it's worth taking the time when you have trauma like that to really get the flexibility back. So what do you mean by flexibility in that case? I mean, is that like stretching or is that physical mobilization of the tissue? Yeah, I'd start with physical mobilization of the tissue. It's about loosening that tissue up, whether it's massage or foam rolling or theraguns or hot and cold contrasting or, you know, blasting it in some fashion or getting a needle in there with acupuncture and changing the tone of that tissue. It's, you know, improving the nutritious environment of it, all that sort of good stuff that looks after tissue. And it's gradually building the activity level, even though you know you could do more, right, until that tissue is behaving itself, okay? Mm. Stretching it, yes, to a degree, right? Tissue should be able to tolerate stretch when it's healthy, right? When a tissue is traumatised like that, it won't tolerate very much stretch initially and you shouldn't do much. And the quad's actually a peculiar example, because if you if you traumatize the, the quad, it has this ability, like only other one muscle in the body is biceps. It'll do this. Um, we'll create something called uh, a myositis ossificans, which basically means the muscle ossifies. So it can actually create a bone inside the muscle if you stretch it too much too early. Guess who has this? So do yeah. I. <laughs> so do so, I. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. From these in my, moments. In my lateral quad. I mean, it was you were describing that with Keely. I blasted my quad at a race in 2018 and I mm. still have a visible lump. And I still I have a bit of an IT band issue on my right knee, I think because of it, because yeah. I never yeah. took care of that tissue after it had that acute trauma to it. Yeah. And it's right next to my IT band, and there's like a very tight visible lump there. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, so there's, there's that side of flexibility. The other side of flexibility is either down at the joint level. So, can the joint actually bend and rotate the way that it has to to get the job done? 
And if it can't, then sometimes, again, you need need somebody to to manually get in there and do something or you need to kind of mobilise and manipulate tissue. But mostly you need to just keep challenging it to get to its end range and to do it under light load to start with but to gradually build it. You know, there's there's some evidence to say that when we stretch, we don't actually change the length of fibres very much. What we do is we change the nervous system's tolerance of stretch. So we just get better at tolerating what used to have a reaction to it when you stretched it. Fascinating. And then it won't, won't have a reaction to it. So it's kind of a nervous system adaptation. And partly it's the connecting tissue around the muscle, the fascia, um, the fascia that sits between the fibres, those can get a little longer. They can get a little bit more springy and a little longer. Um, but the fibres themselves, the muscle fibres, don't really change very much at all. Hmm. Um, but if you put light load on a muscle towards its end range, so you're stretching it out, you put a little bit of load on it, whether that's body weight or a weight or you know a, a movement like in a yoga class that has that load on it, it will adapt eventually. You know, collagen will adapt. So you got to do it for a long period of time to really make changes. Very interesting. Maybe a a tougher question for you here. I view this sort of strength and movement work as being similar to meditation and reading books in that when you do it, you obviously see what a positive impact it has on your life, but it's really easy to lose consistency. So maybe what are some strategies that you use to keep runners motivated to make this a core part of their life and their training so it's interesting even just straight off the the, the lunchtime talk with the high school kids this was another question that somebody asked me in the group mm. was basically how do you stay motivated to to keep moving forward when this is a boring part of it you know or this is hard or this is you know there's no joy in this and there's no gold medal in this one um I go back to, you know, what motivates you and then trying to connect what motivates you to this process. Um, I use metaphor and analogy as much as I can that nobody ever argues about brushing their teeth. Right? We've, we've all bought that system. Brush your teeth, something good's going to happen, right? Uh, and you've got to do it every day. Why have you got to do it every day? Apparently you do, right? So lifting is a little bit like that. Like it really should be the brushing of the teeth for a runner. If you want to run more than if you want to run more than four times in a week, right, you should lift at least once. Mm-hmm. If you want to run more than five times a week, you want to lift at least twice. And so there's that sort of like four to five, one to two times a week. You can maybe get away with it on four runs a week, do it once. But I think anytime you get above that, you got to do it twice a week. Um, and like anything that comes to the body. You're not really going to see the benefit after the first two-week bump. Right? The first two weeks, it wakes up the nervous system again to go, whoa, what the hell's happening? And yeah. Dylan's on weights on me. Um, i got to respond. Uh, but then it doesn't really change until week six to eight. Yeah. And so you've got to kind of almost send yourself a note. You know, Don't forget, you won't see the change until six to eight weeks. Just slide it under your pillow. <laughs> Find it later on. My um, One of my brothers, oh, you many brothers and one of them's smart ass. They're all smart asses. But this one in particular gives me a journal because uh, he knows I'm interested in doing some stuff and it's Australian. 
and he writes about halfway through the journal. This is the point where you need to keep writing in this journal and don't stop, right? And I don't find it until I'm halfway through it, right? Wow. <laughs> and it was just one of those moments where it's like, huh, that's bloody brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> and I sort of feel like as an athlete, you need those people in your life who do that. Oh, that right? is such a good point. I mean, in every, every life facet. or professional application too. Yeah. You just, you know, sometimes need the reminder to keep going. Yeah. You know, those people who you go, God, I haven't seen this person in two months. I need a, you know, I need a coffee with so-and-so, that sort of thing. Cause they just bump you back up again. Yeah. I feel like, I feel like, you know, strength and conditioning can kind of be that way that you need to kind of do the grind, get up at five, do the work, do the work, do the work. And then like maybe every five or six weeks you go, I'm going to go take a class or yeah. you know, I'm going to turn up to Wallabies or I'm going to, uh, I'm going to check in with so-and-so or I'm going to do a workout with somebody else, Yeah, you know, which, which I would highly recommend anyway, all the time. Like, you know, how much better is it when it's accountable? Oh and yeah. There with you, all that good stuff. Yeah. It was so much easier for me to go to the gym and get the work done when I knew yeah. the Wallaby crew was going to be yeah, there. Exactly. That's why they were expecting you. Yeah. We could all harass each other and uh, mm -hmm. hold each other accountable. Yeah. I just had Jeff Browning on the podcast. Who's a ultra running superhero. He's been at the top of the sport for 20 years now. He's now in his early fifties and still racing at a high level. And he said, or he attributed a lot of his consistency and longevity to the fact that he's been really consistent with his strength and movement work over time. Mm. I don't know if there's any, I think we talked about that in our last podcast about the importance of continually doing that as we age. I don't know if there's anything there that you want to just add to as we sort of start to wind down now, but um, yeah. yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure there's a lot of people who would love to hear you talk about that again. I think the simple thing, you know, obviously I'm excited to talk about it because I'm generally a, a little older than some of your listeners is um, maybe not, but, um, but as we get into our later decades, um, you know, so the classic medical description is sarcopenia, which basically means skinny muscle. It means, you know, the muscle is going to get smaller. Hmm. Now it's based on an old model basically that said, oh, you know, old, old people have smaller muscles, right? Because they have more, pain or they have stiffness or they lose disc height, all these sorts of things. But now that we've got a much healthier population who are staying more active longer, we really know that all it is is that they stopped lifting heavy things and they stopped using a variety of movement. And you've only got to go to the blue zone towns around the world and realise, you know, they don't look like skinny little beings anymore. They still look like, you know, robust, strong humans and they have great capacity because guess what? They kept lifting. You know, they did the gardening, they picked the rocks up, they carried it up the hill, they went down to the shops, whatever it might be, they, mm -hmm. they didn't get on the bus, they got on their bike. And all those things that are, that are critical to keeping you alive for a long period of time are no different than keeping you alive as an athlete. So variety, learn new things, go to the extremes, whether it's hot, cold, or hard, or long, easy. Mm -hmm. um, you know, look after your nutrition, have more colors in the diet than you ever needed, you know, all those sorts of things that are there in the longevity literature. Strength is one of them. Exercise, if I can pitch this harder than anything, exercise is the number one fucking drug in the world. It's the number one drug. Yeah. 
take me to the grave on it. It, it will it will outshine any drug that will ever be made. And in this case, by drug, you mean medicine. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it's the best medicine ever. Yeah. Yeah. And I just think that, so why would you stop taking it? Yeah. I mean, I'm pre- we're preaching the quiet. We're not going to stop taking the medicine of running if we could possibly have it. But if we, if we get that little parallel where we say, and strengthening and movement re-education, working on the skill of your movement and learning new movements, they're the flossing mm-hmm. that allows you to keep the thing you love the most. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Flossing is that in that category too. Reading, yeah. meditation, yeah. flossing, yes. and getting in the gym. <laughs> we all need to do yeah. that. Okay. Yeah. So Matt, I have a couple of philosophical closing questions for you, but before we get to those, is are there any closing thoughts? Of course, we'll always have opportunity to do another one of these in the future, but is there anything we didn't get to that you want to get off your chest now? <laughs> I love you. Um, other than that, or did I say that? <laughs> love you too, bro. Um, <laughs> I, um, I wanted to say one more thing about flexibility because it's real pertinent just in the last week or two. I'm realizing that a lot of us carry asymmetries in our hip rotation. Um, maybe you and I will get online and I'll create a little video for a way to sort of self-evaluate this. Okay. Because I, I'm starting to see that a lot of my runners have a consistent pattern of the way their pelvis likes to rotate one direction more than the other. Chickens or eggs, I don't know whether that's driven by their spinal mechanics or their hip mechanics, but both of them are involved. Mm-hmm. And so if you find that you've got an asymmetry in flexibility, particularly in rotation of your hips, like this side goes this way easily, but doesn't go the other way. And yet the other side is perfectly fine. Go after those asymmetries of rotation, even though you know you're a straight line athlete, the asymmetries of rotation make everything work better in the straight line. Mm-hmm. Right? That train is being constantly pulled off the track because of that asymmetry in rotation. If you can keep the rotation symmetry in, track is easy, the pistons are strong, you can do what you've got to do, which is run in straight lines in a healthy way. Right? So that would be my final note on flexibility. Brilliant. Go after, go after the hips and spine as far as rotation is concerned. Thank you for that. A couple closing questions for you here, Matt. Yeah. The first one is, who is a person that you admire inside or outside of sport, can be living or dead, and why is it that you admire that person? It's interesting. You only asked me this a couple of hours ago. It's been plaguing me. I've written like six names already. <laughs> and in parentheses, I wrote the name that I'm going to give you because it seems like Maybe I haven't fully acknowledged it for a long period of time, mm-hmm. but it is my mum. My mum's the one. She She's passed away. My mum was a British national champ as a swimmer, um, but I never saw her as a swimmer because she was my mum. She'd already retired as an athlete. She wanted to be one of the first women to swim the channel doing some stroke other than breaststroke, other than freestyle. So she was doing it doing backstroke. Now, she completely underplayed everything she did as an athlete uh, and just recognised that at that time the power was to be a mum. But her tenacity as an athlete, her ability to be understated, her ability to do this in a little Welsh town where there were no other good swimmers, 
where she was just the solo superstar. She would just sort of win races by herself and she trained pretty much by herself to a degree. Really makes me kind of go, it's the thing that I love about endurance athletes is their ability to, to live with themselves for long periods of time and settle in on that and just kind of be at peace with the discomfort and the joy. You know, that's that's really super special. And I'll throw in one, it was the top of my list, first one, is a, is a philosophical thing, is Richard Raw, um, Franciscan monk, um, mm. just writes from a perspective of religion and spirituality that is so refreshing for me, mm-hmm. the sort of dogma of the Catholic Church to looking at someone who can say, it's no different for Buddha and Jesus. And, you know, these folks all had the same thing, and it's just good, logical, sensible ways of being a human. So I love that about him. That's so interesting, man, because my mother was a swimmer too and a backstroker. And my my grandfather, who is now 90, has a similar spiritual disposition to himself. He's been a Catholic Mm. his whole life, but he sort of has an Eastern philosophical edge to his Catholicism. That's right. Really interesting. No wonder wonder we're buddies, Matt. (laughs) Final question for you. What is one semi-profound thing you've learned about yourself or about life in general through your experience in sport or your experience working with athletes? I'm going to be, I'm going to be um, a broken record. I'm going to say that it is I'm addicted to flow. I used to play this kind of version of rugby. I played rugby for many years, uh, played cricket for many years and had opportunity to kind of go down that sort of semi-professional route as a cricket player and um and the thing that i loved about them in hindsight when i lost them was i i i I lost the flow i loved the flow of pitching and the way of swinging the ball in the air and making people move and so on and when i was playing rugby it was about it wasn't about hitting people and it almost wasn't about scoring tries it was about making really cool flowing movements that destroyed oppositions and uh, and so I find that that's my that's my thing now is it's like I just want to kind of find flow and whether it's flow in a relationship with my lovely wife or that's flow with my kiddos, my grandkids, or it's flow in my practice ideas. You know, it's like it's the same thing. It's like I don't want to rust. You know, <laughs> love it. Mr. Matt Walsh, thank you so much for your friendship, for your guidance. Thanks for being involved in the free trail community and for coming to our office hours. And it's great to finally do round two here on the podcast. And I'm already looking forward to round three. Yeah, I love it. Thanks for bringing out the good stuff. Appreciate you, man. Thanks so much to Matt. Great to have him back on the show. He is also a regular on our free trail office hours, at least a couple times a year. That is always very popular among the free trail community. If you're keen to work with Matt, again, visit free trail experts, give him a shout. You can find a link here in the show notes. No doubt he will have a huge positive impact on your health and training like he did for me and so many others. We are super proud to have 
him on board as one of the founding members of our coaching stable. And it was great to have him back on the show. Free Trail Pro members, now is the time where I remind you to jump in Slack. Let me know what you thought about the episode. Always love hearing your feedback. If you're not a member, come hang out with nearly 700 like-minded trail people in the Free Trail Slack channel. Use our training plans, get discounts on our merch and with our brand partners and so many other perks for only $10 a month or $96 for the year. We think it's a great value and there is a free trial. So come try it out. Big thank you to our sponsors. Of course, Speedland, runspeedland.com. Use code FREETRAIL10 for 10% off your purchase. Gnarly Nutrition, go gnarly.com. Use code FREETRAIL15 for 15% off these great nutrition products. Best Day Brewing, bestdaybrewing.com. Use code FREETRAIL20 for 20% off these delicious non-alcoholic brews. That's it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Love you mucho. Talk soon. Bye-bye.